Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Thursday. We're going to talk some USC football today with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for uscfootball.com. If you have any questions for us, and we're going to answer a whole bunch of your questions today, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Pretty easy. Or you can call or text. The number is 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. Voicemail or text us on that number, and we will do our best to answer any questions or comments you have here on the Parasol Podcast. Uh, you can download, uh, subscribe on iTunes. We have our own URL there, itunes.com slash Parasol Podcast. That should take us right, take, take you right to the Parasol Podcast page. But if we're on Google Play. You can search for Parasol Pod- Podcast there, Audio Boom, Stitcher Radio, uh, TuneIn Radio. So we're in all those places. Just search for Parasol Podcast. And you should be able to find us. And we found Dan Weber, which is a good thing. We want to get him talking about some USC football stuff. We had a pretty long podcast, I guess you could say, last week, Dan. There was a lot of topics. (laughs) Yeah, if you stay to the end, uh, we will have a special prize for you somewhere (laughs) down the road. People were tweeting me about, what the do I get the special prize? And I said, (laughs) I'll I'll like your tweet. There's your special prize. That was very good. It was, it was a little something, a little something there. Um, well, so before we jump into everything, I wanted to, uh, give a big shout out and a thank, uh, thank our newest sponsor here on the Peristyle podcast. And I'm excited about this one because it's a place I go all the time, Trader Joe's. Um, so they've been, uh, doing the whole selling you cool goods at reasonable prices for 50 years now. And they just opened a new location, uh, in Hermosa Beach. And, uh, so it's pretty cool. It's a walking distance to my house. There's actually five of them within like three miles of my house, but, um, I'm really excited to have a new one there. They converted. It's a, it's a really big store and we go, my wife and I go in there all the time. Uh, I love going to the frozen food places and getting, uh, some of the dinners there. We kind of mix and match things. I think last time I talked about doing some Indian food for the, uh, my wife's a big Predators fan, Dan. We went in and she got some like pizza stuff and some like chicken bites and stuff. So we just, it was kind of like bar food we had, uh, in the house, uh, that she gets at Trader Joe's. Uh, but real good stuff there. So August of 2017 will be the 50th anniversary. So that's pretty crazy. And the first one was on a Royal Parkway in Pasadena. And, uh, so it's still there and still going strong. Like I said, the newest one is right down the street from me, uh, in Hermosa Beach and really great wine and beer selection. A lot of good stuff there. My favorite thing though, probably, and I started eating these over Easter day. I don't know if you had them, the dark chocolate peanut butter cup. So they come in a little like a uh, plastic tub sort of thing you open one of those things up and it's really hard to close it because you just keep popping them in your mouth yeah i may have uh, i may have tried those uh, <laughs> uh, on occasion yes uh, i will say this i didn't realize this that trader joe's is in 41 states his 400 and uh, the last i saw 92 locations i don't think i realized that because after i left i did, uh, they hadn't gotten there yet I, I went back and checked and there's one in uh, cincinnati one in Louisville, one in Lexington, one in Dayton, Ohio. I've been to their one in uh, in Chicago. I think it's on State Street, but uh, 
hadn't realized. So uh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, 492 locations, uh, 41 states. So pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even have that in my notes, Dan. That's cool. You can pull out stats I didn't even know <laughs> on Trader Joe's. So, but yeah, it's good. I think I kind of remember when my mom was like, oh, they got one in Boston. Uh, this was years ago, but yeah, they've, they've spread kind of all over the place, but it's kind of cool that it's a Southern California thing. I've you know, started in Pasadena and, uh, you know, spread all over the country. Yep. Very cool. All right, Dan. Well, let's chat about USC football. We'll have a, a note from Trader Joe's or a, a, a little saying from Trader Joe's at the end of the show, but, um, we want to talk about some football stuff here. And I got to mention this with Harvey Hyde. Um, and people have asked about this on the message boards. When are the PRPs happening? Because there weren't really any winter workouts. PRPs are player-run practices, basically the throwing sessions, what we used to call them, player-run practices. Um, they've scaled down. They've kind of scaled down a lot. And there's only going to be six of them that are scheduled for the whole summer, where we used to have like 15 or more. Um, so it's kind of a weird dynamic where we didn't really see them throw at all in the winter, and now it's going to be very limited in the summer. Yeah, I think they're, they're proceeding on a different, you know, plan. And I can't say I, dis, I disagree with them because there are no two a days. Basically, you move up, uh, uh, August practice will now start in July. And, uh, so you're basically going to have five straight weeks, uh, 29 practices in the summer. And, uh, uh, the schedule is early as almost it can be September 2nd. Uh, with the Western Michigan opener. And then it's the, and I think, what did I, I documented it. I think it goes all the way back to 1995 was the last, uh, by list, uh, schedule. And that was an 11 game schedule. John Robinson was, the, was the coach. And so this is pretty unprecedented. So you're basically, once they, uh, uh, hit the practice field July 29th for the first practice, they'll go 17 straight weeks. And so I think they've factored that in a little bit to the summer workouts. Um, uh, for example, uh, I think there are four of the freshmen are in for the first session. Uh, but, uh, Steven, Carr, and Levi, and, uh, the two safeties. So those four are in for the first summer session. But then, uh, the rest of them, I guess that's 11 more, something like that. Uh, arrive June 23rd for the second summer session. So they're going to be not only uh, getting in a little bit later than we're used to, they're also going to still be in class until like August 10th, which means they're going to have, you know, more than 10 days of uh, summer practice when they also are going to be in class. Again, <laughs> it works out well that no double sessions, uh, cause you really couldn't do double sessions, but, uh, uh, it's, it's just a whole different, uh, you know, approach this year. Uh, some of it because the NCAA changed the rules and some of it because, uh, the USC is looking at it a little differently. I know one of the things that Clay was, was worried about was getting kids in, uh, early, uh, before the first of June and they would miss their high school graduations and things like that. And I think they decided, Nope, we're going to let these kids have their high school graduations, and we're going to have plenty of time with them, uh, you know, starting at the end of July. So, uh, but it's a, uh, and it 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 isn't the kind of thing where everybody saw it coming. For example, four Pac-12 teams, there are four actually who start uh, in August. Uh, I know Stanford's one, and Oregon State is one, and 
and maybe Utah and Arizona State, I guess. And uh, they'll all be in practice uh, in camp be- before the uh, start of the uh, Pac-12 media days, which are still July 26th and 27th at the, the Lowe's Hollywood like they were last year. And uh, apparently, contractually, there just was nowhere else for the Pac-12 to go for media day. So I think they're still working out how are they going to uh, involve those the four schools that are already started practice in, in Pac-12 media day. Do you bring them in for part of a day? Uh, bring some of them in. Do you do uh, video conferencing with them? Uh, I don't know. It's going to be interesting, uh, you know, to see how they they resolve that. But there's a lot this summer. There, this is the most change we've ever seen in, in a whole summer, you know, plan of how we're how everybody's approaching it. This is a big, big difference, a big change, and it came kind of at the last minute. So everybody's adjusting differently. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that USC fans are going to have to adjust to is the no bye week thing. You mentioned that with, you know, so many weeks in a row. I guess that's a good segue into our first question from Oscar. He said, hello, guys. Do you guys remember the last time a team made it to the championship game without a bye week? I find it strange that the Pac-12 is giving them that schedule, let alone USC accepting it. Do you think USC will have any leverage to start every game no later than 5 p.m.? USC might have the history to be on top like Ohio State, Alabama, Texas, Oklahoma, but when it comes to the decision-making from the guys up top, they rank near the bottom. Uh, thanks. Fight on, guys. Uh, Oscar. Well, Oscar, they do get – you're talking – when you throw the championship game in, USC does get a bye. They get a bye, which may come at the most opportune time, uh, the 13th week. So they play 12 straight weeks, but they're off the next week, whereas like UCLA – for example, the USC UCLA game won't be the last game of the year. Uh, it'll be, uh, UCLA, I think, still goes and has to play Cal, uh, the next week. Uh, so, uh, that week, USC's off. So if USC, say, they get in and they're playing either Stanford or Washington, I believe both of those schools will have to play that week. Uh, USC will not. So, uh, if they get past UCLA, win the South, They'll have a week off. So, so I think it, it benefits them then. I think where I'd like to see USC step up is when they get, uh, back to back weeks on the road. And, uh, the second week they tell them not only do you have to go travel two straight weeks, but you have to be, you have to get a short week. For example, they go to Cal, uh, USC and week four, they go to Cal on a Saturday game and week five, they go to Pullman. Uh, on a, and they scheduled them for the Friday night game. That's where if I'm USC, I say no. If you're going to say, you know, we're going to go on the road two straight weeks, uh, and the second week is a pretty, you know, more of a, a, a real serious trip to Pullman. Uh, we're not going to go in a short week. We're not going to take them out of class a, a, a day. They'll have to be taken out of, an extra day out of class. And, uh, uh, we're just not going to do that. So uh, that's where I would, if I'm USC, I'd, I'd put my foot down, say no, no Friday game, uh, if it's the second game. Uh, and I, I would, I'd be a little stronger, like in the in the uh, Big Ten. Um, those schools have, you know, the, the Ohio State's and Michigan's, I think of even Northwestern has said uh, the Big Ten, you know, uh, started 
some Friday night uh, TV games, and those schools said, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, that's where you'd like USC to exert its uh, its influence a little bit there. Uh, but uh, but they'll be okay with, uh, with their bye if they get to the championship game. I think that'll work out well. No, I agree with you. I think it will, too. Um, let's see. Why don't we go to Tarek? He said, do you see Kerry Angeline uh, contributing this season? Absolutely. Tight end. No question about it. Yeah, no, no question about it. He runs great patterns. Uh, he, he's six, seven and, and two forty, but he doesn't look two forty now. He's a lot thicker up top that we probably don't always pick up on, but he looks like he could, you know, put on 20 more pounds, but he runs really good patterns. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's got a, uh, you know, a really good basketball rebounder and he just catches the ball. Um, uh, Tough kid, uh, and just uh, a lot of upside to carry. Absolutely. He's, uh, he was, you know, very tough to contain on the scout team. Uh, you know, he certainly, he looks like he belongs, uh, without any doubt. He's, uh, gonna be a very good redshirt freshman year, you know, kind of a, you know, uh, redshirt freshman probably shouldn't be that good. I mean, but you've got the example of Sam Darnold last year. And uh, I know there are people who think, well, can they be that good if they didn't play when they redshirted? He could have played last year. He, you know, if he wouldn't have been a freshman redshirt, he would have played. I mean, he he certainly fit right in, and and uh, and yet it gave him a chance to put on, you know, some weight, some strength. But uh, but he's gonna, you know, just step in like he absolutely belongs, and, and he's gonna be very, uh, I think, a very valuable contributor. He also wanted to know, uh, you mentioned that Jamel Cook could play corner. Do you think he has the hips and speed to compete for the spot that Adoree Jackson left? Yeah, he's got the hips and speed and the stop-start ability and all of that. He can do whatever he wants. I mean, I think, you know, they finally, you know, at the end of the spring said, well, let's let's see there. Yeah, he could. He'd be the probably the tallest cornerback in the country. Uh, counting the NFL, but uh, yeah, I I don't think there are any things he can't. He's got really good hips, and and really good, you know, stop start, change of direction, speed. I mean, he's uh, yeah. Uh, the fact that he's six four, I don't even. It just is an edge to him, uh, but it's not it's not a limitation as a cornerback. I I don't know that there's anything that. Any corner that they've got, you know, can do that, that Jamel can't do. Uh, he's just, he's really, really gifted physically. There's just no question about it. And he's a, he's a tough kid, physical kid. And, you know, I don't know how big they would like him probably eventually to be, you know, 205, 210. Uh, whether he gets there, I mean, he, he went from 181, I think, to 195. But he's he's getting there. Doesn't look like it. He's like Harry Angeline. They neither one of them look like they're as heavy as they are uh, because of their body type. But uh, man, uh, yeah, I, I would put no limitations on him position wise uh, because of his athleticism. It's one of those guys, um, and we got to see him do some really good things in the spring. And we've we've seen people have great springs before, and you know never really end up doing anything. But you get the feeling, Dan, that 
He'll continue to what he was doing in the fall. And then he'll go out and, and be a beast out on the field. And people are like, man, look at that long, rangy corner who can get everywhere. And then people are like, why the heck did that guy register this freshman year? Yeah. It's got, if you're, if you're asking those kind of questions, he's probably doing a lot of things right. Well, I mean, the, the thing with him is he broke his foot in an auto, auto accident. So that threw him far enough back. Had he not had that broken foot in the middle of the summer, uh, I don't know what they would have, I mean, he's another one of those kids. When you see him in person, um, like the uh, oh, uh, the voice kid, the offensive lineman, who you see him in person, and all of a sudden you think, "Wow, you know, we really liked him. We liked his film. We we, but we still kind of thought of him as a high school kid, you know. And now we see him, and we go, "Whoa, he belongs out there." on the field with these guys. So sometimes, you know, it's when you see them in person, you think, hmm, man. And uh, Jamel was it was certainly one of those kids, but he couldn't do that, you know, at least into October uh, before we could even see what he could do because of that of that foot. But, boy, he's uh, – you, you really don't see 6'4 kids who have that – Stop, start, change the direction, and then the ability to to deliver a blow. Uh, he's just absolutely fearless. So, uh, yeah, he's uh, yeah. I mean, at least we, there was you know there was a real reason why we didn't get to see him early on. But um, he's uh, he's very impressive. You know, if he uh, he really and, and Clancy is a tough taskmaster, and he gonna want you to really really know what you're doing every single time and i think they're going to be really hard on the kind of breakdowns that that gave up some touchdowns that you know the two stanford game for example or there were a couple in the alabama game we just can't hit and and this usc team if they want to be as good as this usc team thinks they can be cannot have those kinds of breakdowns and um so he's going to have to i think you know prove to them that uh without really having played in games, he's in the playbook and he's going to be able to, you know, play flawlessly out there in terms of assignments. And that's, that's going to be his challenge to convince them that you can put me on that field and I'll be fine. You know, I kind of think sometimes things will work out for the best. And, you know, him having that, the foot injury that was all kind of hush hush before fall camp that kind of kept him out and, you know, forced him to red shirt. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It could potentially be a good thing. I think sometimes when you transition from high school to college, it takes, takes you a little while. Some people jump in right away. Some people, it takes a little bit longer. Um, you know, he had his friend, Pa Young, that was with him too. And a lot of times with out of state guys, you feel pressure to not redshirt them because you don't want them to get homesick and transfer or anything like that. But for, for Jamel, it just seems like, Hey, you know what? Let him kind of grow into, to, you know, himself as a college student for a year, focus on rehab, getting back out there, slowly getting onto the practice field later, and then really hit the ground running in 2017, which he obviously already did. So in this situation, you don't want to wish injuries on anyone, but maybe that injury was a positive thing for his career. Yeah, I think it gave him a reason not to have to feel bad about play, not playing. I think it just – and it gave them a chance to see all the things he could do. If you were trying to find a position for him right away and get him onto the field – I'm not sure he would have been, had a chance to 
play safety and to play the slot and to end up with some work at corner. Now they've seen him at all those positions. And so, yeah, I think he's in a better place now than maybe he would have been had he been, uh, you know, hurried onto the field and they'd had to pick out a spot. And I think it's good for the coaches to see him and to see, you know, what he can do and what he needs to learn how to do. And so, yeah, yeah, I think this is going to work out for the better. I, I agree with you completely. We have um, Mark and Crown City. He said, you've both been consistent critics of the current Pac-12 network structure. The information shared in today's Mercury News uh, article uh, corroborates your previous comments. And I, this was from a few days ago. I don't, re- I think the article is one of the, probably one of the John Wilner ones talking yep. about like the, you know, projecting how the Pac-12 was going to be a billion dollars behind like the SEC in a few years or something like that. You, I'll let you comment on that. But his question was, what's the likelihood of the Pac-12's operating and administrative expenses? Uh, let's say, he said, what's the likelihood? They're out of whack with other conference networks and will be increased and will the increased public transparency related to the inefficiency of this operation uh, be cause for the Pac-12 university presidents to reconsider the current structure and strategy? Thank you both for producing high-quality information for a thirsty Trojan nation. Fight on from Mark in Crown City. Hey, Mark, good, really good question. I don't know. The Pac-12 presidents just extended, you know, Larry Scott for another, you know, four years. Uh, and yet, contrary to that, the person who was the head of the president of the Pac-12 network has resigned and is becoming a consultant. Unfortunately, I shouldn't say that, but at least one of the, one of the clients of the former president is the Pac-12 network as a consultant. So, and I guess that's how those deals work. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Pac-12 network president and, and so many of the officers at the Pac-12 are, are paid significantly more money than their counterparts in other conferences and it's just pretty stunning and then you know where the sec network will will go and put it you know you know not worry about locating in charlotte where they have access to you know uh reasonable studios that have, were already there and they were already using some they'll go out of the pack or the sec footprint to to take advantage of of spending a lot less money and they'll send, you know, Paul Feinbaum from Birmingham to Charlotte. And now he's not even in, in a PAC 12 state anymore when he broadcasts for the SEC network or in a, an SEC state. But the uh, PAC 12, of course, went to the Embarcadero and built all new studios. Let's to tell me you couldn't have found studios in Los Angeles and all the, you know, technical support people and all the, you know, young talent coming out of college in the telecommunications capital of the world, but they chose to locate in some of the, you know, premium real estate in the whole world in the Embarcadero in San Francisco. So will the Pac-12 presidents ever call somebody in and say, hey, what's the deal here? Why are we spending way more money than the SEC and the Big Ten on their networks? and getting a whole lot less out of it. Will they ever ask that question? I don't know. You would think they would eventually, fairly soon. You know, some of the 
athletic directors aren't happy, but what we've heard is that the Pac-12 presidents haven't always relied on their athletic directors and have kind of gotten the story straight from, um, you know, the commissioner as opposed to, you know, what are the athletic directors on the ground telling them? Uh, something has to change. They can't keep going like this. And, uh, you know, the reality, the financial realities are going to catch up with them. I mean, the fact that I think we, we talked about this months ago that Rutgers and, and Illinois, I think, are going to have uh, in an, between now and the end of the contract, 2024, or whatever, Rutgers and Illinois are both going to bank a couple of hundred million dollars in TV money more than USC will. And that's just ridiculous that Rutgers, you know, because they're in the Big Ten, Rutgers in Illinois will bank $200 million more than USC will in the Pac-12. That's just not sustainable. And, you know, maybe USC has to start, you know, raising a little hell about that. But uh, it, it doesn't, you know, something's going to happen before they renegotiate, where they come up with the next contract negotiation. Cable TV is going south. Who knows if cable TV will even be in the market for conferences, uh, you know, in the 2024 and on. Uh, if things change as fast between now and then as they have the last two years in cable TV with, with all the cord cutting and loss of subscriptions, um, I can't imagine that cable TV will be in the market to uh, offer big contracts to conferences. They might to individual schools, uh, but to conferences. Uh, so I think USC is going to have to start developing their own approach to this because the last thing in the world you'd want to do is depend on the Pac-12 uh, for uh, where do we go in the future because I think they pretty much proved that, that they really don't have the answers. USC Independence, Dan. That's yeah. that's the future. That so, has to be. I mean, it's going to happen. In, it's going to happen. Effect in a lot of ways. It, it, it there's no sense. question. I mean, it's like, you know, it took a while, but look what's happened with newspapers over the past however many years. And uh, it's going to happen faster with cable. And, you know, the cable TV model for conferences has really worked in this last, uh, go round. All of those conference deals were pretty darn good and pretty darn good for all the teams in the conference. USC still, you know, obviously gets hurt because they shouldn't be sharing equal, you know, equal shares with, you know, Washington State, Oregon State, and what have you. But it was one of those, oh, it's, you know, everybody's doing okay and doing better than they were. But the next go round, that is not going to happen. Not possible that that's going to happen. What is going to happen? Boy, who knows? They're going to be, I think, you know, conferences may have to do their own broadcasting. And um, how they're going to share that money, I don't know. And then you get the sense that schools are going to be doing their own deals and doing deals with, you know, Amazon and Netflix and what have you to stream their games. And those deals will be dependent on how good your program is and who you're playing. And uh, I think things are going to change, you know, more rapidly than the schools are prepared for them to change. Uh, 
and certainly more rapidly than the conferences are prepared to change, although you would have to bet on the Big Ten, uh, which has just been, it's just been revealed that the Big Ten commissioner, Jim Delaney, who was never reimbursed or, you know, recompensed as much as Larry Scott, is now qualified for a $20 million bonus because of all the good that he's done. And basically, he's getting that money because he's earned that money for the Big Ten. Whether that same standard has been applied to the Pac-12, I don't know. (laughs) But I would have to bet that the Big Ten and the SEC will get to where college sports are going before the Pac-12, even though the Pac-12 owns the rights. I mean, you know, they... They haven't, you know, given away the rights and they haven't paired up with anybody. But whether they're going to be able to monetize those rights, they haven't been able to monetize anything, you know, so far. And, um, so, you know, we'll see. But, uh, I mean, to get caught by the Big 12 in terms of the amount of money that goes to each school, I mean, a Big 12 that's just fallen apart. I mean, you know, a Big 12 that's lucky to have 10 members. And doesn't have a conference championship game, doesn't have a network, and still it's caught the Pac-12. And, you know, doesn't have very many big cities. You know, it's got, there you got Dallas. And, uh, I'm trying to think. Anybody else? I got Dallas, Fort Worth. But not exactly the kind of profile that you would, you would think would generate, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, TV revenue and contract that, that they've been able to, you know, uh, generate. So, uh, you're right to ask questions about the Pac-12 network and where it's going and who's going to make those decisions. We wish you could give you an answer, but, uh, not right now. Um, the other hot topic over the last several weeks has been the Coliseum. We have a few questions on that. And I do apologize. We've had some people. Say, I don't want to hear about that anymore. Well, this is people keep asking about it. We want to talk about it. It's a hot topic. And, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, so we'll keep talking about it because it's a big deal. It's going to change the Coliseum for the rest of all of our lives. So, uh, but one of the, so the, the one thing about the naming rights, we have a question from John. He says, as always, you do a great job of the podcast, uh, with its insights into USC athletics. Thank you, John. He said a couple of questions. About the naming rights deal reported to be 4.1 million a year. It's my understanding that both the USC athletic department and Coliseum, uh, have been totally self-funding units of the university and receive no money from the university or its general fund. Also, the Coliseum receives no money from the Coliseum commission and the athletic department has to pay the university for every athletic scholarship it gives out to student athletes. Is that correct? And so do you think that the Coliseum naming deal is a good one? And do you know if it's just for the field or for the whole Coliseum? And do you know what the name would be, like United Airlines Field at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum? Fight on, John from Oakland. Yeah, John, good questions. Um, yeah, uh, I think they're getting $4.7 million a year is the last week. I mean, again, they haven't signed it yet, but this is the, the, uh, supposed to be an agreement in place. Uh, we always understood that it was going to be for the field only. I don't know that that's been reported. I don't know if that's the agreement. And that wasn't exactly reported uh, to that extent. Uh, so we do know this, that the next highest one, uh, the uh, 
uh, Husky Stadium, University of Washington Husky Stadium. They got a Alaska Airlines. And they got a 10-year deal for $4.1 million a year, $41 million deal. So compared to USC's getting $70 million, uh, University of Washington got 41, or, yeah, $41 million. Uh, they agreed on uh, uh, Alaska Airlines Field at Husky Stadium. So they kept, they kept Husky Stadium. And I, I got a note from somebody that said it also – includes the rights that they've already had uh, for um, uh, the uh, formerly Heck Edmondson Pavilion that's their 10,000-seat uh, really cool basketball arena that goes back to the 40s. Uh, really, really nice arena. But that that's also part of the deal, so they're actually getting two uh, two venues for that, that price. But... Uh, one would hope USC and they can stick to it where, it, you know, it becomes United Airlines field at Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. That would be, that would be my preference. Um, how that, you know, how that plays out for United Airlines, I don't know. Uh, or how it plays out in terms of signage and, and, and what have you. As to your questions about, uh, yeah, USC never got a dime, a dime from the Coliseum Commission. <laughs> They were taking it out of there in satchels, I think, the Coliseum Commission at, at times. Uh, uh, but they weren't giving any of it away. And they don't have any of it now uh, after people did take it out in in, uh, in satchels and bushel baskets and, and whatever. Uh, but USC pays for everything. USC Athletic Department is totally self-sustained. They don't get a dime from the university. So... Um, they pay for all the scholarships, all the everything. Yeah, they have to, they have to totally self-sustain. And I think they're a little over, you know, 100 and, 105 million, 110 million. It's, they don't have to release those numbers, so we don't ever see them. But if you'd have to guess, which would probably put them just a little bit ahead of Washington in the Pac-12 in terms of, of, uh, expenditures. And it put them way, way behind, like the University of Texas, I think, Athletic budget is like 260 million a year, which is why instead of nameplates in their new locker room, they can have, uh, you know, whatever, 70 inch uh, color TVs for each one of the players or 60 inch color TVs or whatever. I mean, they have no, they have no problem, um, uh, you know, spending the money at, at, at Texas, for example. Uh, but, uh, I don't know if I, if I hit all your questions or not, but, uh, I think I, I think I remembered them all. Yeah, I think you got them. Um, he kind of snuck some extra ones in there. Well, you mentioned the, the Washington Stadium, and Tarek had a question on that. He said, "Is there a chance the renovation could make the Coliseum more like Washington Stadium, which is considered one of the best stadiums in the Pac-12, and make the Coliseum louder?" Well, that's one of the. Th- My theory is it will absolutely not be louder if you take out nine thousand to ninety-five hundred seats. Uh, sideline seats, and you replace them with 2,200, many of which are going to be behind, uh, you know, behind the glass. Uh, I made the point that I didn't think this would create any, I mean, the one place that we've seen similar, uh, is, uh, is Levi Stadium, where they have kind of a wall of glass behind or for private boxes on the one side that's seven or eight stories high and 
to me, that seemed like a dead zone as far as sound was concerned. Uh, I know uh, the difference at Husky Stadium is they have roofs, and those roofs uh, contain the sound, and they're fairly steep sides. And then, you know, I, they've got a culture in Seattle. The same way with CenturyLink is the loudest stadium in the NFL, and it's designed with side, you know, and uh, and roofs and that contain the sound. But I don't think there's anything at USC designed right now that's going to keep the sound in. Uh, that's assuming that there's going to be sound coming from a place where you've replaced the 9,000 to 9,500 seats with 2,200. So, you know, you've given up one-fourth of your sideline seats in your stadium and put many of them, you know, in in booths uh, behind, you know, behind glass. Uh, so I would say not. My guess is this will not make the uh home will not give you an additional home field advantage at usc i think it'll take it away yeah. i think it'll make it a a quieter building and uh, a less intimidating place to play 100 percent agree on that one do not look at this as something that will help uh, as far as <laughs> go. it will not help um now, and i know they will tell you well maybe it'll keep the sound in maybe this uh-uh. yeah. first of all there won't be as much sound. Yeah. That's the starting point. And, you know, I think it really matters when you have a stadium that has 38,000 sideline seats, end zone to end zone, there are 38,000 seats. So the bulk of the seating at the Coliseum is not, uh, neck, you know, down, you know, side to side over the field. It's behind the field at the end of the field. So if you take away a fourth of the seats that are alongside the field, you can't possibly expect that by putting in a building with 2,200 that you're going to change that. I mean, those, they, they, they won't be heard. I mean, those 2,200, I mean, come on, that's not even a good high school craft. Uh, they're going to matter not at all, other than and they're behind. Things. They're going to be behind glass, right? Are those? Is it open or are they some gonna... of them are? Some of them are. Yeah, okay. some of them will be watching the game at the bar on television. Yeah, behind that's glass. Not, yes, that's some not... of them are club seats <laughs> that are out, but some of them are, are situated around tables. I don't know. I'm guessing if you're sitting at a table, you may not be making as much noise. <laughs> You don't want to knock. You don't want to knock your drink over. No, <laughs> it's funny. Um, we got one last one, Dan. Gary in Seattle, so it won't be as long as uh, last week's marathon show we had. He said, "I really appreciate uh, you taking up the Coliseum renovation fight. I am a longtime USC fan who does not live in California and only attends a few games at the Coliseum, but this still matters to me in all caps a lot. Uh, what are?" What they are planning to do to the Coliseum will permanently ruin it and change the whole atmosphere atmosphere of USC football for the worse. The Coliseum is such a special place and a huge part of USC football with so much history and love that it needs to be done right. There are some uh, who are saying that it's hopeless and silly to try and change things at this point. So why even try? Well, they might they may be right, but how do you know unless you try? And the saying goes, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. The renovation matters to a lot of fans and alumni, even those who are not affected by seat changes. 
So I encourage you and everyone that doesn't want this renovation to fight on. Uh, that's Gary in Seattle. Gary, I couldn't have written it better myself. <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't agree, disagree with a single word, single thought, single idea. I agree, and I know people think, oh, it's decided, it's signed, sealed, and delivered. There's not a single thing you can do. Money talks. Money has made the decision. But I, I, I really think this is a path the Coliseum. USC can't go down. That this is not good for, for USC football. It's not good for the Coliseum. Uh, it's not good for USC. It's not good, you know, for the fans that are getting, you know, the good seats in the, uh, it's not good for even the founders people. And it's unbelievable what they've done for USC that, that that many people I'm going to have, you know, in the war room, we'll talk about how many more people stepped up, uh, you know, for $10 million uh, a suite than, you know, than they would have imagined that Texas, they took the model from Texas A&M and got way more than Texas A&M got. Now, the unfortunate part of that is Texas A&M did it on the way to increasing their stadium to 105,000. And USC's doing it on the way to knocking their stadium down to 77.5. Uh, so, so I agree. Uh, when Pete Carroll came in, the Coliseum was either the fourth or the fifth largest, uh, structure, largest stadium for college football in the country in 2000. And if this, uh, renovation goes through as planned, USC will have the 25th largest stadium in the country for college football. I just think that's going in the wrong direction. College football is a big game Saturday deal. And USC football has been a big game deal. You know, the Notre Dames and the UCLA's and the Stanford's and, and, uh, Oregon's and those, you know, those are, you know, and those are big deal games. And USC fans, the fans in LA respond to a big, big, and that's what you need in LA. You need, and that's what, that's why in 1922 and 1923, they built the Coliseum and the Rose Bowl, uh, that, you know, in a, a town that at that time, I think had fewer than 600,000 people, basically in Southern California. And they built two, which would become very soon, 100,000 seat stadiums. No other place in the world has they had that kind of, you know, optimism about what they were doing in sports. And we're willing to stand behind it. And I, I think this is kind of a defeatist way to approach, uh, you know, the football future of USC and the Coliseum. And so we're going to try to, you know, convince whoever it takes, uh, for as long as we've got, which isn't very long to, um, to take another look at this and, and do it smarter and, and do it better. And, and and make it work for everybody. And we do think there's a way to do that. But, uh, but you know, it's kind of a Hail Mary at this point, I think. Uh, and part of the reason is that they have done such a good job of selling it in terms of people stepping up and, 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 and buying the, you know, and, and donating, buying uh all the private boxes. USC's done an unbelievable job of, of, of getting those out to people and the people, USC fans have done an unbelievable job of saying, yeah, we'll take one. So that makes it a little harder, actually. If, if, if the place would have been a little tougher to, to convince people to be part of and put their money up, you might have had a chance at this point to, 
a better chance to to stop it. Uh, right now, it's uh, it's it's going to be tough, but uh, we're going to keep trying. And Gary, we uh, we appreciate the sentiment and uh, hope we uh, find enough people like you to to you know keep uh, you know keep fighting on, as we say. I guess that probably is appropriate right here and right now. Yeah, Gary, that's uh, good stuff there. And you know, I've been getting some slack from people like, "Why do you guys keep pounding on this drum or whatever, beating the same drum?" There's never going to change it. And it's like to the point where I'm like, you know what? Maybe I won't say anything. I'll just wait for the box to be finished. And when I'm forever USC game, I'll be <laughs> climbing, you know, climbing up the marble staircase to my luxury press box, you know, perch and, and watch it, you know, inside and drinking martinis or whatever you're doing in there. Like everyone else, it's going to be good for us in the press to have this building. I mean, it'll be nice. There'll be great digs. It's not like we're, it's something that's going to be bad for us. We just don't think it's great. Like he said, like Gary said, it's going to change the Coliseum forever. And I don't think in a good way, certainly in a bad way. So it's good, Gary. We'll, we'll, we'll keep fighting. We'll keep uh, fighting the good fight for you. I was kind of giving up and I was just like, screw it. I'm just going to go in the press box and, and enjoy the luxury okay. life. But now, no, we'll keep fighting now. Well, the last time this advice came our way from a number of people was, uh, if I recall about how to react to the NCAA, <laughs> you'll never. You'll never get them to court. You'll never get them to da 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 da. Well, maybe USC won't, but Todd McNair will. And you know, we probably at times thought about, you know, do we keep fighting on and get this story out, even if USC kind of doesn't want us to, or what? And we decided not to. And as it turns out, probably convinced an awful lot of people around the country that. USC really got treated badly and the NCAA really, uh, acted improperly. And now it's where it probably ought to be in a court of law. And so, you know, whether, you know, this is comparable in some ways in terms of people saying, look, you can't win this battle. You're not going to win too much against you. Give it up. Just, you know, let it happen. And uh, so sometimes you just, I, I mean, I do think USC, he is the single best, you know, uh, motto, fight song, whatever, in the history of the world, fight on. It just doesn't get any better than that. And uh, I think there are times you just have to say, you know what, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, another good podcast, Dan. Thanks for uh joining us and I, I got a little news um today so we uh i posted on the message boards on uscfootball.com so as you know we're part of the scout.com network and scout was acquired by cbs uh sports slash 247 sports and uh, we end up signing an extension with them so it'll be we're not sure what the future is going to be this merged kind of network thing but we will definitely be a part of it we signed a multi-year deal so very excited to kind of continue what's going on here we'll have a bunch of new technology coming over the summer which is pretty cool but yeah we'll be uh long-term residents here at scout slash cbs slash 247 excellent yeah and i'm uh, glad fun. that dad's gonna be part of it too and shotgun and gerard and everybody so it's gonna be fun so we're uh we're definitely looking forward to that um but thanks dan for another great stuff we'll uh we'll i'm sure we'll talk to you again real soon and uh, send those questions in. And uh, for everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle podcast. And we will talk to you next time.
You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 